Welcome to HCD's Mindset. I'm Michelle Nigella. And I'm Catherine Ambrose. We are on a mission to help you identify what consumer science innovations have a lot of untapped value or are too good to be true. So join us for more curious conversations as we try to make sense of the complex but fascinating world of human behavior. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Mindset. Catherine and Michelle are here, and we're very excited to be chatting with two lovely people, one you may be familiar with, one we're excited to introduce. We have Martha Bajek with us, who we all know and love at this point, and a new friend, which is Jimmy Farrell. Jimmy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Catherine. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. And can you share a little bit about exactly who you are, Jimmy, and just tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my name is Jimmy Farrell. I work for ASTM International, which is a standards developing organization. Um, I ended up here. I I went to um, a state university in Pennsylvania for college. I got a communications journalism degree from Shippensburg, the emphasis being in public relations. And um, after I graduated, there was kind of a gap between an actual career and um, school. So I was working actually at a, a Lexus dealership in the service department where I was, um, you know, managing work for the technicians and, um, you know, serving customers as well. And through that uh, job, I actually made a connection with um, my now coworker. Uh, who works at ASTM, she had described, you know, what she does, what the organization does. It was something that really interested me and kind of um, fit my personality and interests as well. And, um, you know, as a few jobs opened up here and there, I was able to, um, you know, apply, get my foot in the door. And, and that's how back in October 2016, I ended up at ASTM International. My job title is a staff manager, which for some might sound like I manage staff here at ASTM, but what it actually means is uh, we have technical committees that develop international standards, and I manage a group of those technical committees so that they are able to create these standards that are used in the marketplace. Are you uh, in Pennsylvania still? I am in Pennsylvania still, so I've we led a somewhat boring um, life in terms of where I've lived. I grew up in Southeast Pennsylvania. I went to school in South Central Pennsylvania, and now I live back in Southeast Pennsylvania. Um, ASTM is headquartered in a town called West Conshohocken. Oh yeah, which is just a little bit. That's outside. how you say that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's a bunch of names it. around here that are a little challenging. I would say. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Sorry. No, it's I even wondered. harder to say the name of the river that it's on the Schuylkill River. Schuylkill River. <laughs> it's not the Schuylkill, <laughs> whatever it might actually look like. Yeah. But to be fair, to give you a little bit of credit, Pennsylvania is underratedly huge. It is a big There's state. That. So yeah. it's, uh, you know, to drive through it will take you hours, whereas I don't <laughs> think people really appreciate how large of a state it is. So you can yeah, be living prefer. in drastically different areas. <laughs> So I'm actually in the Doylestown area and uh, Catherine lives in uh, Philadelphia area right now. Martha, where are you? 
tuning in from? I am in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. <laughs> so the only non-Pennsylvania person here. <laughs> yeah, and, and I've never lived in Pennsylvania. <laughs> yes. So Martha and Jimmy, how did you two meet each other? ASTM. It was yeah. through the ASTM. Mm-hmm. Can you share a little bit? Was it through a specific committee or was it just, were you interested in the organization, Martha, and then you just found him online? I just found Jimmy. No, <laughs> um, I met Jimmy through D37. Um, which so what is, is D37? Cannabis Committee. Um, I'm sure there's a more formal title. Yeah. So um, as things go in ASTM, each committee has its own designation so that people can easily find the associated work. And um, back in 2017, ASTM formed a committee dedicated to developing standards on cannabis, and that is Committee D37 on Cannabis. And so um, basically the way in which an ASTM committee works is people who are a part of a given industry, whether they are producers of something or users or testers of it, um, even government folks, regular consumers of a product, they get together to write standards that they see a benefit to the industry and the world as a whole. When I describe it to people, ASTM and these standards, um, I often say, you know, it's really like the specifications to really qualify that it's the product it says that it is, right? So like the faucet is made to a a spec, right? That the tread on your your shoes or your tires. Um, Do you have any other good examples that kind of give people an idea of what these committees are trying to do? What sort of specifications, what, what does standard mean? So standard in ASTM anyway, uh, actually has the ability to mean a couple of different things. One could be a standard specification, which is you know how something is done or what something has to meet. There could also be a standard test method. Um, and then you have other standards like guides and practices, which end up being like good ways of doing something. And then we could also have a standard classification and then terminology standards, which um, terminology standards might not sound uh, overly exciting, but it is often the most heated debate Mm -hmm. um, when you get the technical experts together in a room. Yeah, which is surprising, right? I mean, I've I've been uh, listening in on some of those before and you get some real debate over the definitions of things. Very uh, real debate. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense because if you think about it, the definitions are going to be the foundation of whatever you work upon. So if it's worded a specific way, it could be misinterpreted or interpreted in a specific way that maybe is leading in one direction or another. And so I think to a a very good reason, there's a lot of debate and um, discussion over specific wording. It may be um, a little dry to have the debate over specific words. But it can be very serious. But yeah, but it yeah. Could be so like Martha, important. I know you've talked a little bit about for D37 in particular, that, you know, just the definitions of what cannabis even means, what does it entail? Um, do you think you could talk a little bit about that to like, you know, terminology? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I've been involved with um, committee E18 for longer than I remember. 
And um, 18 is? 18 is sensory sensory and something, but it's the sensory committee. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, there's all kinds of things, the claims, the ad claims guidance, all different sorts of standards and specifications. Um, and then as I got into cannabis, I joined the D37 committee and there was a work item that, and Jimmy, see, I'm probably not even calling it the right name. There was a, a request for volunteers. Let's go that way. I'll <laughs> not try to get the right terminology. Um, and one of the items they were looking for a volunteer for was the uh, symbol for an intoxicating cannabinoid. And it sounds really straightforward um, until you actually, <clears throat> excuse me, start asking people, well, what's, into what's intoxicating? Mm. What does that mean? Wh what is a cannabinoid? How do we define it? Like every little piece of that has to be clear for anyone to pick up and be able to say, okay, I understand what I should do with this. Yeah. And all of those things, is it marijuana? Is it cannabis? Is it hemp? Is it all of those terms have to have proper definitions. And, and there's importance to that because it is really, in a way, it's um, really about the safety of consumers. Right. Right. Ultimately. Right. Yeah. That's the, <clears throat> I mean, that's the key that consumers yeah. are, it's sort of like a, a way to have like buyer beware independently and mm -hmm. also industry beware, right? Like we know that if you don't use the ASTM 18 um, ad claims guidance and you run a claim and somebody takes you to court, that's what, that's what they're going to hold up against you. Did you follow this? So Where they will actually hold up the ASTM guidance um, so yeah. that brings up an interesting question. So particularly when it comes to uh, talking about D37 or some of the sensory stuff, what is that difference, you know, between say FDA regulations and ASTM guidance? Yeah. So um, how ASTM standards are used in the marketplace is up to the marketplace from ASTM's viewpoint. So we provide the venue for people like Martha and all of the other volunteers. And maybe I should hit on that, that these committees, so we're giving these designations D37, E18, our first ever committee, A1 on steel, the people that work on these standards, all these volunteers are coming together because they're seeing the need and they have a proposal for the um, how to address an issue that needs solving. Mm. And so they write the standard with the hope that it is then utilized in contracts between uh, individual parties, that the marketplace adopts it to have a standardized way of making a child's toy, for instance, so that we know that lead toxicity or um, the way in which a battery pack is secured to it mm. is the same way in that the, the world overall is um, having a safety concern addressed. When we talk about a standard in regulation, in an ideal world, that would happen for all of our standards, but it's not, ASTM is not in a position to lobby for that adoption happens when 
a government finds that this fits a need for whatever their regulation is um, pointing to. And because of certain directives, um, for the US anyway, government agencies are actually supposed to utilize standards developing organizations like ASTM to develop these standards so that they're not just using tax dollar resources to come up with some, you know, um, shrunken view of what a standard could be. They're pulling from experts across the whole industry and allowing themselves to comment on other people's technical information as far as what could be utilized in a regulation. But that adoption ultimately is voluntary. The, the government would pick it up and then it becomes a law. <clears throat> but from an ASTM standpoint, you know, we are facilitating the process for the development of these market relevant standards that could address safety or they could address um, a quality concern, whatever that might be. So it could be that a product doesn't follow, it's developed <clears throat> and it doesn't follow the, the guidelines, like say it is for A1 for steel. Mm -hmm. um, and that could result in, in some major issues. Um, so I think it's very interesting to definitely recognize that not only are it's really the experts that are writing the standards, like what should be qualified to be steel, let's say, um, or to be a cannabis product or to be intoxicating, whatever it is. Um, but this is done by a, a group of experts by committee, they vote. Um, but it's also volunteer, which is, you know, I think you were saying, stressing it a little bit, um, that maybe that's the most important part that, you know, it's not like it's involved with the government where you might be affected by something like lobbying, right? So it's volunteered by people who are passionate about this very seemingly niche idea, whether it's, you know, intoxicating symbol for cannabis or um, sensory testing methods or steel production, um, but because it is volunteer and these people really care about that issue, perhaps it is almost like cleaner in a way. Exactly. I was thinking about how with the ASTM, it's even though it's not tied to law per se, that might be a strength, even though maybe at first glance, it, it might appear like a weakness because it is an independent entity where it can really stand on its own and say, we're focusing on our expert opinions to guide us as opposed to being guided by uh, other opinions or something like that, that could be swaying how other institutions might want something to go. And uh, I think that is a major benefit, like Martha was saying before, not just to the consumer, but also to industry because there is this guiding light in a way. Yeah. And, and that's why my role is fairly unique in that I don't have a technical background on how to use gas chromatography to analyze, you know, cannabinoids. Um, so I'm not going to have necessarily a, a, a vested technical opinion on what type of content should be in this standard. I facilitate the ASTM process so that when it receives an ASTM designation, when the standard becomes an actual ASTM standard, the industry or governments or private uh, firms that use the standards have the guarantee that it was developed in this voluntary consensus process that did not receive influence from ASTM. It yeah. didn't receive influence from 
one particular interest group. Um, you know, we keep calling these members experts, and they are, but really the only qualification for ASTM membership is that you have an interest in a given subject matter. Mm -hmm. We have 148 committees, I think, 147 committees that go across 90 different industry sectors. Wow. So anybody on the planet, if they had the time to, to donate to it, could really find something that they had an interest in, mm -hmm. and their perspective is what creates the market relevance. So yeah. you could have somebody who knows how to grow, successfully grow a cannabis plant, but they're also voting on standards that are related to security and transportation. And they might not always have a comment relevant to that particular document, but because they're on the committee, they're reviewing it and able to provide that constructive comment or criticism about what would potentially be used by everybody in industry so that you know, yeah. we just continue to achieve that relevance. And yeah. so what is the ramification if somebody doesn't follow the industry standard and gets cited for it or something like that? Is, that, is there any type of ramification that comes from that? It would pretty much depend on, I guess, the, the resulting issue. Um, but certainly there have been cases where um, investigators or government entities have said that you have not followed this specific set of instructions that either you should have been or you claim to have. And so mm -hmm. getting audited and not following a procedure set forth in a standard or even their own internal operating procedures is where you, you see those <clears throat> ramifications come in. And their peers are typically on these committees. So, um, you know, when I joined maybe five or six years ago, it was with E18 and it was from being involved in, you know, this, the different sensory um, conferences and speaking to some of the lead experts. And they said, oh, you know, you should really join E18. Um, <clears throat> and, it, you know, it is really important you participate um, because you do, you know, you do love your industry and, you know, you want to get involved. And so I did get involved um, some time ago. And then Martha brought me into D37 as well. Um, so getting involved there. And I, I want to bring up the process a little bit as well, because Martha and I, um, with the help of some of the things that Catherine and I have written in the past, um, have started writing some standards. Um, in this case, it is for E18, um, but it's something that Catherine and I talk a lot about on this um, podcast, Fitcast, which is um, really about the usage of different methodologies for doing sensory testing. Um, you know, we're starting out with some of the biometrics uh, because, you know, a real problem that Catherine and I point out a lot is that there are methodologies being sold that aren't always up to par um, and that there are uh, people who maybe don't have a PhD in neuroscience or don't have a PhD in psychology who are unfamiliar are buying, you know, these methodologies from people that aren't quite working or giving them what they need. And so having some standards is one of the first steps to really correct that sort of issue, you know, so that if someone did want to bring someone to court, for example, um, they could hold up the standard and say, well, did you follow this guide? Uh, because this is the standard for using, you know, galvanic skin response, mm -hmm. right? Right. And so all that being said, what is the process 
in creating a new standard or a guideline? Where, where do you go? And you say, you know what, this needs to happen. Jimmy, how, where, where do you start? <laughs> so, I mean, it's as simple for you, the volunteers to just start with an idea and that idea, you then bring that into ASCM. So if you're already a committee member, it's certainly, you have a, an easier path to understand where it might go. But if you weren't an ASTM member or you weren't familiar with what that process looked like, you'd have to do a little bit of a search to maybe find some relevant committee and then reaching out to somebody whose staff like myself would allow you to um, more narrowly focus the group that you should be um, not pitching, but giving this idea to. So we, we've been talking about D37, D37 being this overarching main committee, but the committees are then broken down further into subcommittees where the specific technical discussion is happening. Um, it's a lot more focused topic when you look at a subcommittee. So you have D37 on cannabis, but if you look at D3707, they just address industrial hemp standards. Mm. And so if you had an idea about an industrial hemp standard or some sort of hemp standard, you would be pointed in the direction of the leadership of that subcommittee, which leaders on subcommittees are also volunteers that are just taking on an additional responsibility. So they're not ASTM staff like me, they're members like Martha and and Michelle yourself to that are just handling more of this responsibility because there is the importance to the industry that this subcommittee persists to develop these documents. And ultimately the subcommittee chair is going to approve this work to begin and on subsequent meetings or communication that goes out, there'll be notifications made to the members of the committee and like Martha pointed out, there was a work item registered for an intoxicating symbol and they were looking for anybody and everybody who wanted to participate because <laughs> if they if they developed a symbol that nobody was ever going to use, well, what, what's the point of it? Right. And so you, you started out with this idea, you brought it to the right group and then some sort of publicity is made about it and you then create your little task group that is then going to take your idea and put it into ASTM's form and style so that ultimately it can get into the balloting process and, and eventually become a standard. So let's say it's become a standard, right? Uh, and you're not a member of ASTM, but let's say you are a up and coming cannabis company, right? Um, and so you've heard that people are putting labels. Um, what, what do you do to learn more about what you're supposed to be doing? So in terms of the use of standards, sometimes there are training opportunities that either come from ASTM. We do have um, a division that handles training and uh, proficiency testing, things like that, but they do operate on a budget just like anybody else. So they can't make a training program for every single standard that that is out there. There's also third-party uh, organizations that develop training programs associated with different standards that people could also utilize. But ultimately, what 
we would say, and I would always say in, in my position at ASTM, the way that you're going to learn about why things ended up in the standard the way they were, or if there is, um, you know, a better way to do it than just from what you're reading cold, it would be to join the committee because, mm -hmm. you know, we go back to all you have to have is an interest in order to join. And we hope that the documents that are created are able to be used by anybody. So where can people find those documents? Yeah, so that they're all available for sale on our website, on ASTM's website. So um, in order to facilitate this process of developing a standard, there is a cost associated with what the output is ultimately. It's usually fairly, you know, reasonably low so that the adoption or use of these standards is there's a low barrier to it, but there is overhead for ASTM to be able to operate as, um, as a member driven organization. You know, it's not like we're charging huge fees for people to participate. Our membership fee is only $75 a year. Yeah. And that's so and that you get the that, big book of standards. Yeah, you get you get a volume <laughs> of the book of standards, which is a significantly higher value than that $75. And it's so that we can say that we meet the World Trade Organization's barriers to, um, you know, participation. Ultimately, we don't want money to stand in the way of somebody being able to contribute their expertise or ideas on a uh, on a given topic. So how often do new committees and subcommittees form? And my other question to you is, if you have a standard that's out there, is there a way that you could amend a standard or change it to update it with new knowledge once it's already out there? Yep. So I'll hit the second one first, which okay. is all of our standards are living documents. And that means that it could be approved and published today, and you could start on a revision tomorrow that gets approved and published, you know, just a couple months later because there's new information or a study was done to, you know, support it and you want to add in something, whatever that looks like. So these documents are always, um, always being modified. And actually within the ASTM regulations, there's a requirement that they be validated every five years. And if they haven't been successfully validated after eight years, they get withdrawn because of a clear indication to ASTM anyway, that they're not relevant in the marketplace if they're not being maintained. And withdrawn standard can be brought back at any time as well. So, uh, but I digress. <laughs> the, uh, the other question about the formation of new main committees or new subcommittees. So main committees, I would say are um, a lot less frequent that they are being formed. Mm. Um, typically, we try not to stretch out the members' commitment in terms of different areas that they might have to um, participate in because their interest maybe spans multiple committees. It'll happen, but if there's a way that it could exist as a subcommittee under an already existing main committee. That's kind of the preference. Mm. Um, just because, like I said, it is that volunteer commitment. And now you're asking them to still participate on their old committee and the new committee. And so you don't see a main committee formed too often. Um, but a subcommittee, 
anytime a need is arising, a main committee is able to create a new subcommittee. They try to do their own due diligence in that, you know, they want to make sure that there's going to be lasting content of some sort, but, um, you know, there is no restriction on how many or how often they could form subcommittees. It just has to go through that proper process. That's interesting. And not to put you on the spot, maybe Martha would know, but do you have any examples of new subcommittees that have just come out um, or, or even committees that have come out in the past year or two years? Yeah. So um, as far as new main committees go, there, I can't remember if exoskeletons was, I think it was definitely after cannabis. Um, so exoskeletons, like, you know, you think it's like a big robot suit to be able to pick up heavy stuff and, right. um, you know, whatever else they're working on in that, that committee, but <laughs> that's, that's so the newer cool. committee within ASM. <laughs> certainly D37 on cannabis being formed in 2017, you know, it's only a five and a half year old committee at this point. Mm -hmm. It is still very new mm -hmm. when you look at the organization being formed in 1898 with A1 on steel. And, you know, a lot of our committees have that type of longevity of 100 and 120 years, 100, almost 125 years. Um, so D37 in itself is a very new committee. That's awesome. And I guess my other question, and I, this could go to you, Martha, as well, because you've had, and Michelle as well, because you've all had experience being part of the committees. What do you see as challenges that you face when you are developing a committee or when you're trying to put out a set of guidelines? What are some of the most common have a, hurdles? I'm going to have like a little bit of a question that kind of goes with that because, um, <clears throat> you know, when you're on a committee, you're doing a lot of voting. So like you get these emails that are saying there's this ballot that you need to like read over and approve. Um, you know, you can vary that part's easy. Um, unless of course you don't really know what it's about. And of course you can abstain. Um, but I always wonder, uh, really more about any sort of almost like political disagreements, you know, not actual politics, but like with differing opinions, of the science or of the definition, um, any of those sort of things. I imagine that's like the difficult part, right? I have an example. I have, yeah, I have a good example. <laughs> and I think Jimmy knows what I'm talking about exactly. We had, uh, so we're developing a non-intoxicating cannabinoid symbol. So for uh, cannabinoids, products containing cannabinoids, let's say like CBD, where you don't get high, like, intoxicated, but it is psychoactive. Um, we had almost a three hour conversation at the last committee week, what, a few weeks ago. Um, one Sunday evening, you know, there was however many people at the committee meeting and I was joining virtually and we had, we had a lot of lively and uh, an interesting discussion on, do we need this? Who needs it? Why do we need it? What happens to hemp? Like, I would, if you told me that people had these long conversations about this one tiny thing, I would not have believed it. And just the hardest thing about being in a committee is being in a committee and consensus. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Getting people to, <laughs> to agree. And, and so that, 
that word is kind of key consensus because consensus is not unanimous mm. and there will be times where you have people as you know part of a discussion or more officially during the balloting process are opposed to content in a standard and if they they are unwilling to withdraw those oppositions there are vehicles um, by which those negatives are resolved and still allow for consensus to be achieved, which is, you know, certain um, percentage requirements depending on, you know, the ballot type or whatever that looks like. But ultimately, you know, we want to make sure that everybody's heard. One negative vote in ASTM stops a ballot. It doesn't matter if you're an official voter or a non-official voter, it stops a ballot and it needs to be considered. But after that consideration, it doesn't always have to preclude something from being published and turned into a standard. So there are vehicles to resolve the differences of opinions. And ultimately, the committee is going to decide, do they agree with the opposition or do they agree with what was originally put out as balloted? Interesting. Well, I know we're getting close to finishing up time here, but I just want to thank you both for sharing your insight and your knowledge into the ASTM. I know I just learned about it a few years ago, and I felt like I was open to this whole new world, especially as somebody that doesn't have a PhD but is interested in certain things. I thought it was really incredible, and I felt very empowered by the fact that even I could be on a committee and voting on something that actually matters. <laughs> And um, I, I just want to thank you both for trying to shed light on that for other people to also be informed about the ASTM. Um, I do want to play the game React Attack, which is our free association game. Martha's off the hook this time, but Jim, are you ready <laughs> yeah. to begin the game? <laughs> I have 10 words written down right here. Promise there's nothing too scandalous, but I, uh, without further ado, I'm going to get started. All right, so the first word wellness, uh, mental health, ASTM, great, symbols, necessary, standards, also necessary, safety, key, cannabis, fun, community, welcoming, hemp, Cannabis. Trust. Necessary. And the last one, parenthood. <laughs> Enjoyable. <laughs> this is being recorded. So. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, both of you. Yeah, thank you both so much for joining. If people are interested in learning more about ASTM, where can they go to seek it out, Jimmy? So um, simply ASTM.org, and then you can get to all of the content that um, the committees are putting out. In specifically the area of cannabis, we actually developed a microsite. So that's ASTMcannabis.org. And that speaks to our other programs, not just standards development, um, like certification, proficiency testing, training. Um, it's kind of a one-stop shop. Uh, not all the committees have um, had the fortune of the microsite being developed. So uh, we definitely champion it for the cannabis group. 
Interesting. And if if people are looking to speak to you directly, Jimmy, if they have follow-up questions, how can they reach out to you? Yep. So simply um, it's my name, jfarrell at astm.org. And I'd be happy to answer any questions you have about ASTM or membership. Awesome. And Martha, do you want to also share your contact information? Yeah, it's uh, all available on HCD's website, uh, martha.bajak at hcdi.net. Um, and I have to say, Jimmy, you're a wonderful ASTM staff member for us. Like Jimmy does far more than just facilitate or whatever. He's a peacemaker. He's a, <laughs> a confidant. He's a friend. He's a guidance giver, everything. It's really wonderful to have to have so many great people there to work with. Thank you, Martha. Jimmy. Yeah, you are sure. a shining example of a member. You, <laughs> you are a great use. It only case. took a decade. <laughs> You're a great use case for how a, oh. an idea becomes a reality in the standards world. So I love, I I love rules. You guys got it all. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you both for joining us. And until next time, stay tuned. Until next time. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. For more information or updates, follow HCD Research on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at HCD Research Inc. and at HCD Neuroscience. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and be sure to rate, review, and follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you and stay tuned for more curious conversations. Thank you.